check. <laughs> okay. Um, I do have an undergraduate degree from Dallas Christian College, and I almost have a master's in worship theology, um, but that's it. I don't even know what a master's in divination would be. <laughs> Sounds like something from Harry Potter, but um, maybe I'll get that one. I don't know. <laughs> um, but today I wanted to take a little time. I'm going to move these. Sorry. Otherwise, I'm going to trip and fall, and that would not be good. Um, most of the time, we come to church and we hear these sermons, and there's always three points. And I don't know who invented that, the three-point sermon thing, um, but I don't have it. So, <laughs> sorry if you're used to it. Um, you can take notes, but uh, it's going to be a little sporadic, probably. Um, this morning, I just wanted to spend some time... And, and tell you why I love Jesus. I think we come to church and we hear a lot of sermons about um, how to be better people, how to, how to go through life and do things um, better, maybe how to get out of debt or uh, live a pure life. Um, but it seems like for a long time the church has gotten away from just opening the Word of God and, um, and looking at the life of Jesus Christ and, and why He's worthy of our praise and our love. Um, and so I'm going to read... For us, um, if you wanted to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, <clears throat> chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, um, that's okay. Um, I don't know if there's any under the seats or not. Um, we'll be in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Um, and so I'm just going to read through that, and you can follow along, and, and then we're going to kind of go back through it, and, and we'll see, um, hopefully... Um, God uh, speaking to us today. So, um, starting in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Would you pray with me once more? Father, thank You for this opportunity to open Your Word. God, I pray that You would... Open our hearts and our minds and our ears, um, God, as we strive to listen to your word, uh, that you would remove us, uh, move, remove our, our brokenness and our sin that, that um, clouts us sometimes uh, when we read your word, Father. I pray that you would um, move through this uh, time. Help us to understand you that much more, Father. We love you. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, the church needs Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, that was good. Uh, the church needs Jesus Christ because the church is full of broken people. Um, if you come to church and, and you're looking for perfection, you're going to be looking your whole life. Um, church is supposed to be a place where broken people come to find healing. Uh, to find refuge, to find fellowship, to find that other people are struggling through life, maybe not always in the same way, but they're struggling. 
There may not be another person on earth that shares your story, but there might be. There, there may not be someone sitting in this room that you can look at and say, man, I, we're going through the same thing. But what you can do is look at that person and say, I know that you're struggling because you're human, because you're flawed, because you're in need of a Savior. And so that's why I think it's important to talk about why I love Jesus. Not necessarily me, uh, but looking at Scripture, and we're going to see why Jesus is worthy of our praise, our adoration, our love. Okay, obviously this sermon's not going to completely envelop all of why we should love Jesus Christ, because again, we're flawed, we're, we have a limit. Uh, we can't fully understand the mystery of God, but hopefully you will walk out these doors today and you'll be able to interact with someone face-to-face, and you'll be able to say, I love Jesus, and this is why. And Facebook and social media doesn't count. Um, you, you have to like actually talk to people. Um, <laughs> that's a side note. Um, so this sermon won't completely cover the entirety of God, but what it will do is hopefully um, spark interest into you engaging with the Father um, so what we're going to do, I want, I want you to try something. If you have your Bibles and a pen, um, if, you, if you don't mark up your Bibles, that's okay. Um, I do. It helps me a lot. Um, we're going to go through these five verses, and wherever there's a pronoun, um, I want you to replace that with the word Jesus. Because every one of those is referring to Jesus, and I think placing the name of Jesus there um, just gives it so much more meaning and so much more meat. Um, And so I want to read through it again, but instead of saying he or him, we're going to replace it with Jesus. Okay, So I'm going to read it again, and you can follow along. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether dominions, oh, sorry, thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, All the fullness of God is pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to Jesus all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. I don't know if that does anything for you, but for me, it gets me excited. Um, You know, it, it, it reveals that Jesus is above all things. The superiority and the supremacy of Jesus surpasses all things in the universe. And here in a little bit, we're going to get to something that's, um, to me, really exciting, but I'm kind of nerdy, so it may not be exciting to you. Um, But we're going to start with this first one. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For a moment, just think about all the years of humanity. So, you know, Adam, okay, first one, starting with Adam, all the way until Jesus lived. Um, And there's a lot of different views on how many years that is, and we're not going to get into that. But that's a lot of years, suffice to say. Um, Think about... All those years before Jesus came, how many times someone wanted an image of God? A a perfect image of God. We have symbols and signs, you know, we can look through Scripture and see, okay, the burning bush, God was there, but that's not really an image of God. That was just God in the bush. There's the rainbow, there's um, promises, there's, there's earthquake, there's fire, there's smoke, there's whispers. All of those are God, but they're not the image of God. 
And then Jesus comes to earth and it says he is the perfect image of God. But, he, but he's not just a image. Let that sink in. He's not just an image of God. He is the image of God. If you want to know what, what God looks like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. And you might say, well, we don't have pictures. And he's not, you know, brown, blue-eyed, pretty Jesus that we hang up in our churches. That, that's not what he looked like. In fact, Scripture says he wasn't really anything desirable to look at. He was just a man. In fact, a man living in a time where um, people were dirty, um, very dirty. And he was a carpenter's son. He knew what hard work looked like. He probably had scars. He played. He, he was a young boy, and he probably um, wasn't very nice to look at as people go. But it says that he is the image of God. So moving on to the next one, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. This tends to be a little confusing for some people, but, but try not to confuse this with um, thinking Jesus was created. Okay, Because if you just take it for face value, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, Okay, so he was, he was born first before everything. Um, but if that were true, then that would mean that Jesus as creator um, had to be created. And that just doesn't make sense. If Jesus created all things, um, which we see in Scripture that he was in the beginning with God and he was God, um, that, that Jesus could not have been created. So it's not saying that Jesus was the firstborn uh, before Adam or anything like that. See, this is more of a Jewish custom. See, a Jew reading this would have understood because for them, being firstborn wasn't so much being the, the, the child who was born first. For them, being the firstborn was the person that the father chose uh, to leave the inheritance. Uh, it was more about rank than it was order of birth. Um, we see this example with Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob were born, but it says that the, the older will serve the younger. Okay, God had a plan, and with Esau and Jacob, he, he used Jacob, as we know the story to continue his promise he made with Abraham to build the nation of Israel, all of which happened from the younger son with Esau and Jacob. So Jesus being the firstborn of all creation isn't that he was created, but is to say that Jesus is superior, supreme above all creation. God chose Jesus to be above all things. Going on to the next one. Um, Jesus created all things. Heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now this, this one is kind of um, exciting to me. It, it's not necessarily only about earthly things. This is about spiritual things. Can someone tell me what a living throne is? Can someone tell me what a, a, an organism that is an authority? No, we, we can't wrap our minds around that. Uh, some would say that this list that Paul is, is writing is a ranking of angels, something spiritual, um, whatever the case. We just can't wrap our minds around that. There are things in Scripture that's called the mystery of God that we just we won't know. 
We can guess. But I promise you that's not what's most important. See, Paul writes that Jesus created all things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible. There are things happening all around us right now at this very moment that we just don't see and we don't understand. And I'm always brought back um, to the story in the Old Testament, and I'm blanking on the name, um, which always happens when you get up to speak to people. Um, But it's a story in the Old Testament, and and there's... um, the city, and they're being sieged by an enemy, and the character's saying, I just don't, I don't know how we're going to defeat our enemies. This is you know, impossible. And the prophet prays and says, open, God, open his eyes, and he sees the angelic army, just chariots of fire surrounding the city. There are things that are happening all around us that we just don't understand. And Jesus created all of it. And not only did he create it, um, but it was created through him and for him. Again, Jesus is supreme above all things. Now, this this next one is probably um, my favorite. This is where you get to see a little bit of my nerdiness. Um, Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. I don't know if you, uh, if anybody in here is um, into um, astronomy. Um, I kind of am. I'm not like big into it, but but I like it. Um, I don't know if anyone has heard about this, but um, apparently they have found the largest structure in the universe. I don't know if you've heard about this. It was, it was a pretty big deal back in January. They, they released all the the news about it. An international team of astronomers has found the largest known structure in the universe. The large quasar group is so large that it would take a vehicle traveling at the speed of light some 4 billion years to cross it. Just once. Just from one end to the next. 4 billion years to go from point A to point B traveling at the speed of light. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the speed of light and just how fast that is, a traveler moving at the speed of light would circumnavigate the equator of the Earth 7.5 times in one second. So, 7.5 times around the Earth. Mind-boggling, yes. Okay. Now, to put that in some comparison, a traveler in a jet... If you were to go to Tulsa International Airport, get on a jet, and you were traveling at 500 miles per hour, you would go from California to New York one time in four hours. So 500 miles an hour would take you across the United States one time in four hours, moving at the speed of light in one second, you would go around the globe 7.5 times. Okay, so now we understand how fast the speed of light is. Moving that fast at the speed of light, it would take you four billion years to go from point A to point B of this large quasar group. That is a massive, massive structure. This is so massive that it has actually shaken the understanding of our universe according to um, 
astronomy and, and scientists. Quasars, if you're unfamiliar, uh, are nuclei of galaxies that undergo brief periods of extreme high brightness that makes them visible across huge distances. This team has identified that the large quasar group, which is so significant in size that it challenges the cosmological principle. And that principle is the assumption that the universe, when viewed at a sufficiently large scale, looks the same no matter where you're observing it from. In other words, they're saying that the universe is so big that if you look at the universe just looking, it doesn't matter where you're looking, it all looks the same. It's kind of like if you zoom in on, on a beach, on, on, if you go really, really zoomed in, you can identify different pebbles of sand. But if you zoom out, it kind of all looks the same. That's what they're saying about the universe. The universe is so big, you can zoom in and identify stars, but if you zoom out, no matter where you're looking, we're always rotating, we're always spinning, it all just looks the same. But now, because they found this huge, massive structure, they're saying this challenges that principle. Basically, they're saying we don't really understand anymore. <laughs> this modern theory of cosmology is based on the work of Albert Einstein, and it depends on the assumption of the principle. To give some sense of scale of our galaxy, the Milky Way is separated from its nearest neighbor, the Andromeda Galaxy, by about 0.7 5.75 megaparsecs. That's about 2.5 million light years. Okay, So the closest galaxy to the Milky Way is the Andromeda Galaxy, and it's 0.75 uh, megaparsecs. Whole clusters of galaxy galaxies can be 2 to 3 megaparsecs. This LGQ, uh, or LGQs in general, can be about 200 megaparsecs or more. Based on this principle of modern theory of cosmology, calculations suggest that astrophysicists should not be able to find a structure larger than 370 megaparsecs. And this newly discovered large quasar group has a typical dimension of 500 megaparsecs. But because it's elongated, its longest dimension is 12 100 megaparsecs or a 4 billion light years. So just to wrap that up, before they found this, the assumption was that there could not be a structure in the universe larger than 370 megaparsecs. The one they just found is 1200 megaparsecs. That's some 1600 times larger than the distance from the Milky Way to the Andromeda galaxy. And if you are listening to all that and that doesn't make you go, wow, um, then I, I don't know. Because that, that is just mind-boggling to me. That, that in Jesus, Jesus Christ, who loves you, who, who died on a cross, who, who knows your name, has created a structure in the universe 1,600 times larger than the distance from our galaxy to the nearest galaxy. This distance, uh, this, ga this, this large quasar group is 4 billion light years across. And Jesus created that. Jesus is in the middle of that, holding it all together. The same Jesus who, who looks at you and says, I love you. 
I choose you. And if that doesn't make you feel valuable, I don't know what would. Not only does Jesus stand in the middle of these huge, large structures that we can't even really understand. I don't know if um, any of you have ever heard of a quark. Q-U-A-R-K. So we went from really big, now we're going really, really small. For for a long time, uh, we've understood that the building block of everything was an atom. Well, now they are identifying things within an atom. The smaller things that hold atoms together. I mean, this is just crazy stuff that we're able to identify that an atom has components that, that make up the atom. And for every quark, there's an anti-quark. And these things and the strings, they all hold this together. But there is something else holding it all together, and his name is Jesus. Not only does Jesus expand four billion light years, but he also dwells within the midst of, of a quark. Because Scripture says he holds all things together. Without Jesus Christ, the creator of all things... It wouldn't exist. It would fall apart. Our physicality would literally just stop working without Jesus. Now, I told you I was a little bit nerdy, but but I think that that is just amazing. It is amazing stuff. Um, and so, going on, um, <clears throat> you may be sitting there thinking, well, okay, so that's, that's cool. Um, you just said a bunch of weird stuff that I don't understand. Okay, but what does that have to do with me? And my answer to that is absolutely everything. Your brain in, in you know, your body, it controls everything that happens. It tells your heart to bump, sorry. It tells your heart to pump. It tells your, your lungs to breathe. It tells your feet to walk. It, it, when you touch something hot, it says, stop that. Okay? Your brain is what functions, is what makes your body do what your body does. Without your brain, your body dies, Right? I mean, modern medicine, someone can be brain dead and they can hook you up to a bunch of machines and have everything keep going. But let's be honest, that, that's not life. Without your brain, your body stops. But in verse 18, it says, And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. So if your brain resides in the head and Jesus is the head of the body, it's saying that Jesus is the brain. Jesus is what makes the church do what the church does. Without Jesus, the church doesn't function. Without Jesus, the church doesn't know what love is. Without Jesus, the church doesn't know how to serve. Without Jesus, the church cannot exist. And if we were just a church that met for the purpose of meeting together and singing songs and hugging and how do we... I don't even know how you say that. If that's all we did, uh, we, we really wouldn't be any different than a social club. Sometimes we sit in church and, and I wonder, why, why are we doing what we do? Is it because of Jesus? Or has it become such a tradition in America that we come to church just to check that off our list? It becomes part of our weekly schedule. We go to church because we think we have to. Or is church a living organism that Jesus is the head of and we follow his direction and we're doing his will? 
Um, I don't know. I hope it is the latter, but unfortunately, um, there are cases that would point to something different. But Jesus is the head of the body of the church. He gives us our direction. He gives us our life. Without the brain, the body dies. Without Jesus, there is no church. This directly correlates to the next two parts of verse 18. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Um, He's the beginning. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn over all creation. Um, Now, I have to back up a little bit. Um, the, the book of Colossians, this letter to the church in Colossae, was written um, primarily to refute a lot of false teaching that was going around in the city and in the church. Um, there were a lot of people walking around saying a lot of things that had nothing to do with the Word of God, that had nothing to do with the person of Jesus, um, had a lot to do with um, you know, putting money in their own pocket or uh, you know, saying what their itching ears wanted to hear. Um, They had gotten away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to say, hey, um, this is is not what we set up. This is not what I taught you. This this stuff that you're doing is not okay. He's attacking this false teaching mentality when he says that Jesus is the firstborn uh, from the dead. See, Jesus was, was the first to be raised from the dead back to life, never to die again. We see cases of people being raised from the dead, but they died again. I I, I read the story of Judas <laughs> that Jesus raised, or Lazarus, sorry, not Judas, Lazarus come out, um, he stinketh, uh, and it's really funny, but I think that's really sad. Because I, I honestly, I wouldn't really have wanted that to happen. Because, you know, if I'm Lazarus and I died, um, you know, he, he loved Jesus. So... He, you know, he died, and then Jesus is like, okay, come, come back to life. He just had to die all over again. You know, and death is not the end. We know that. that that's our hope. You know, the hope we have as Christians is that when we die, uh, we're actually living forever. De- death is not the end, so it shouldn't scare us. We shouldn't live in fear of death. But death kind of stinks. I mean, you know, if we're, if we're honest, no one really likes death. And so, it, you know, Lazarus being, being raised back to life, dying again, is kind of sad. But Jesus was the first person to raise from the dead, never to die again. Because if you remember the story, Jesus got back up to life and he walked around for 40 days, eating breakfast with his disciples, hanging out, talking to people, having a cup of coffee. Hey, I'm alive. Look at the scars. Hey, it's real. And then 40 days later, they're on a hill. He starts floating away and everyone's like, I don't understand what's happening. Angels show up and say, what are you doing? Go. Okay, we remember the story. Jesus never died again, nor will he ever die, because Jesus raised to life and he lives at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us. So when we die, we will also live forever, as Scripture teaches. He's the first one to raise from the dead, never to die again. Of all who have or ever will be raised from the dead, Christ is supreme, because um, as it goes on, in verse 18, uh, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. He might be above all things. He might be supreme. There is nothing in the universe greater than Jesus. For in Jesus, 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This again is refuting this false teaching, this heresy that um, divine powers and attributes were being divided among false gods and idols. That's what they were teaching in the church. Okay, this, this power of God is now being divided into to other people and to other things. Um, that that uh, the power of God, the attributes that make up who God is, is now being dispersed against you know among other things. Okay, but Paul's saying no. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. All the power, all the authority. Everything that makes up God now resides and dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is something different. The power of God, all that makes up who God is, dwells in the person of Jesus Christ. He's saying, no, you can't assign who God is in your life. God is God, the one true God, and His Son, Jesus Christ, who is also God, encompasses all of who He is. He is the image of God, if you remember. Going on um, into verse um, 20, "...and through Jesus, to reconcile to Jesus all things." whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. Now this doesn't teach that at one time all people on earth will believe. I, I think there is, um, well, there, there is a, um, I guess you could call it a sect of Christianity called universalism, and they believe that at some point God is going to redeem all people to Himself and that everyone will believe and it doesn't matter what you've done in your life or where you've been, that God is love and we're all just going to float around together. Um, and that's just not what Scripture teaches. Now, um, it does teach us that all will submit. All will bow the knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus is Lord, when you see Him returning from the clouds, it's going to be very evident, okay, that's God. Again, there are just some things that we can't really wrap our minds around. But Paul is saying, not everyone will believe, but because of who Jesus is, because He embodies the person of God, because of the peace made by the blood of His cross, all will understand and submit that that is God. Jesus is God. He's also saying that because of the blood of Jesus' cross, God and those who are against Him will have peace. Now sometimes peace comes at, great, uh, at a great price. Uh, for instance, the peace we have with God comes at the price of His Son dying on a cross. The peace of two nations warring against each other usually ends with both losing many lives uh, and usually one nation losing um, power. Peace generally comes after much warfare and much strife and much loss. And the peace God has made for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, by the blood on the cross is just that. Death and blood. 
In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, we see that any peace made between people or nations always involved blood. When someone was going to make a covenant, um, and we've talked, our, my students, uh, we've talked about this a little bit, when, when you're going to make a covenant with somebody, you, you take an animal and you slice it in half and lay it on the sides and, and you walk through it together saying, this is the covenant I'm making with you, and if I fail to uphold my end of the covenant, may I be like this animal. That is how serious covenant making was and how serious a covenant of blood that God has made with us. He's saying, I love you so much that I am offering my son as the sacrifice. You who deserve this don't have to go through it because my son has taken your place. That is the Jesus that we serve. That is the Jesus that I love. And I hope that today you can walk out these doors and you can say, I love Jesus. I hope that today you can leave this place and walk in a a new light, maybe not new, but maybe refreshed, saying, I love Jesus because He is everything. He holds four billion light year wide quasar groups together. He creates stars. He breathes them out of his mouth. He knows my name. I hope you can walk out this door and say, I love Jesus because he first loved me. Would you please pray with me? Father, we love you. And we don't mean that just because we're supposed to say it. But Father, we love you. We are so grateful that you are a God who understands all things. You didn't ask advice when you created the earth. You didn't look at a model when you made humans. Father, you created all things out of your wisdom, out of your perfection. God, help us to be a people that live and love like you have loved us. God, most of all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. As we come into this time of invitation, we ask that you would stand and sing with us. And if, if something is tugging on your life and on your heart today, we ask that you would come forward. There'll be people here to pray with you whatever it is you need. Would you